Hello and welcome. My name's Dr Joanna Bucknell and you're listening to episode 18 of Talking About Immersive Theatre, or Tate, T-A-I-T, for short. As the title suggests, this series is about immersive theatre. Well, actually more broadly, I chat with folk who are involved in making performance work and events that include the audience in a fundamental way. I go out and about to chat with producers, practitioners and performers about the ways they offer inclusion, interaction, immersion and participation in performance. So, without further ado, here is episode 18 for you. So, I'm here at the new Stein Hotel. It is Stein, isn't it? Stein. I'm here at the new Steen Hotel Bar and Bistro in Brighton with Ethan Ethan McHara. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to chat about his work as a writer, theatre maker, and performer. So hello. Hi. Thank <laughs> and you. we're sat in your space for your performance right now. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued because yeah. I'm not going to get to experience it till a little bit later on this afternoon. I know. So. <laughs> I know. Is that like a difficult thing to have seen it at uh, your interview before you see it? Yeah. yeah which yeah. isn't too bad because actually it means that um, I just have to be careful for no spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'll try my best, but yeah. there's and some good parts. Yeah. And for people listening as well who might want to kind of catch you yeah. when you take it somewhere else. Exactly. So Ethan, you started your career as a TV presenter in LA. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you got into working as a presenter and what that was like? Yeah. <laughs> really? Well, I moved to Los Angeles when I um, graduated from university, and I um, had a, uh, I grew up in Connecticut on the on the east coast of America. So I'd always wanted to um, go to Los Angeles um, when I graduated, and I did. And um, yeah, it was it was a tough start. It was definitely mm. you know you got to find your way there. It's a town that can be very isolating. There's no public transportation, so you're in your car a lot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you you know it just you know when there's a tube or the subway or buses, you feel like you're a part of the greater good. Yes. In LA, you're just in your car with your radio. Wow, so. I had no idea that there was no public transport in yeah, LA. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's crazy. There is, there is. It's just not as good as other cities. Although, yeah. if my friend Jen was here right now, she would correct me and tell me that it's really, really, really getting better and better and better. There's okay. there's more trains. They're doing much more stuff now. Yeah. Since I, I So I lived there for 11 years. and um, But when I first got there, um, yeah, I started um, taking acting classes and I kind of did theater. That was the first thing that I did and I got into yeah. plays and I did improv. And um, I always loved interviewing people and I knew that um, I wanted to do that for money and make a living at it. And what really kind of propelled my uh, my career in, in TV presenting was I got cast um, as a as the spokesperson with two other guys for a hair care product called Sunsilk. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, I do know Sunsilk. They they were all around the world, but they they launched in America um, back in the mid-2000s for the first time. And so they kind of sent us out as the representatives for the hair care for Sunsilk. And... um, so you like brand ambassadors? Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So it was it was me and two other guys, and the whole idea was it was there. It was kind of like, do, do, did queer eye for the straight guy come here? That was a TV show where like queer five queer guys would would basically make over these straight guys so they could get dates. I don't know if people had Sky, it might have been on Sky. Okay. It, yeah. I doubt it would have come to kind of like our main sort of free view channels. Yeah. I but I don't know. <laughs> so it was it was really big in the states. The okay. show. So Sunsilk had this idea to get these three queer guys together and to kind of 
go after this female market where you're like the gay best friend of these women. Yeah. We have got Kwan who does that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. they hired three of us to do it. Perfect. And so they sent us on all these shows and we started kind of really doing a lot of TV presenting and um, being on panel shows and that kind of right. stuff. So that's where my career really started and then it just kind of took off from there and I started my own um, online chat show called Doing It With Ethan mm -hmm. and I just started interviewing people and got sponsorship and did stuff like that and it was it was a really great way to kind of have control over my own career. And what did you do, um, it, I know it's a little bit different in the States, isn't it, but what did you do kind of major in your undergraduate in? Oh right, I went to this very, very unique university that is um, had the funniest name when I started. They've changed the name since. It's called Friends World Program. Oh. Yeah, I know. So putting that on your CV, it sounds a little hippy-dippy. <laughs> it, it started off as a Quaker school, okay, hence okay. the Friends thing. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't Quaker when I went there, but the values of the Quakerism still existed of, you know, yeah. the kind of ideas of um, you take a consensus and, you know, not one person is in charge. It's that our teachers were facilitators. They yeah. weren't, they, you know, the idea is that we all learn from one another. Not, of course. That, that teachers know everything. Yeah. yeah, professors know everything. So it was a university that we um, traveled around the world. So you went to a different country every year. Oh, wow. It's that incredible. must have been incredible. It was incredible. It was based out of Long Island. Uh, Long Island University owned Friends World at the time. Okay. They still do. They've changed their name to Global College now. So okay. It's a little different. Okay. It sounds more corporate though. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's so true. <laughs> Global College Inc. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I lived in um, Costa Rica and Nicaragua and I lived in London for a year and I lived in India as well and studied. Wow. So I was mostly doing documentary film. That's what I was studying. Okay. Yeah. So, so I was all of that has kind of come and it sort of informed your yeah. approach to how you do things. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> Basically, I'm a, I'm really interested in people and mm -hmm. how they operate and what what um, defines their choices and how they move in the world and you know obviously culture is such a defining thing. I talk about that in this show a lot about how sexuality. And um, your sexual desires and sexual fantasy is defined by where you live, where you grow up. And um, I found that traveling in university at Friends World, you know, just being able to have the opportunity to see how different people lived and how different people expressed themselves and um, was a really beautiful experience. And then through my undergraduate experience, I made documentary films. So you're, you're literally, I was living with people and learning the language and yeah. following people around. Yeah. And so it really was, for me, it was all about um, observing and mm -hmm. asking questions. Well, that's fabulous. I mean, it's such yeah. a rich education to kind of in, in, immerse yourself in some respect. Exactly. Into those culture and into other people's yeah, lives. Totally. Ah, tea to tea, tea delivery is always fabulous. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, if I, if I cut my lip, I'll suit you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Leo. <laughs> yeah. So you've been involved kind of in very media-based things for a lot of your career. So can you talk a bit about how you've made that transition into kind of theatre and the live Mm -hmm. Well, when I lived in LA, I always did plays, um, kind of on the side of my other work, and I always love a live audience. That's my favorite thing, yeah. you know. Um, you have much more of a culture of that as well in in media, I think, yeah. in the states than we do here. We don't yeah. do a huge amount of live recording. I think that's changing a lot now. Yeah, yeah. But I guess yeah, you have a lot more crossover in terms of engaging with a yeah. live audience, even in a recorded show which yep. we don't we just don't do a lot of yeah that. i mean just so many even chat shows in america are all not even necessarily live recorded but there's a live audience, audience yeah exactly and, and exactly. there's so, there's just so much to go on when you have a yeah. live audience you know well, that's energy isn't exactly. there which is the thing i love about theater and um one of the things i think 
I've done filming before and I find it that I just I'm waiting around a lot and there's something about the energy and the buzz that comes from totally. real people in real spaces together. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Which is exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah. And um so I I did I was doing theatre in LA and when I moved to the UK I did a um I did a film and um I was doing doing it with Ethan and I just knew that I wanted to somehow incorporate uh, my interview presenter skills into whatever kind of show that I was going to write. I'd been yeah. thinking about doing a one-person show for a long time. I just didn't know what to do it on. Yeah. And then somebody said to me, I, you know when you're just racking your brain about something to do and you can't mm-hmm. think of it, but it's literally right in front of you? It's the yeah, old yeah, cliche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone was like, wait, didn't you do naked house cleaning when you first moved to London? Just crazy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Yeah. And so I, I knew from that moment when I started writing the show that I, I was, it was absolutely going to be a, like a, a theater piece yeah. and, um, and that I wanted to talk to the audience during that time, during the time and use my interview skills yeah. because again, I, I, I'm so interested in people. So exactly. I wanted to, I wanted the audience to participate in some shape or form. What's the, um, I don't know a great deal about the theatre scene in LA. I know yeah. quite a lot about the theatre scene in New York. And I know there's a huge monologue kind of solo show mm-hmm. uh, scene there and a huge immersive scene as well in yeah. New York. But what about LA? What's what's the kind of the landscape yeah. like in terms of live theatre I'm in shaking LA? my head right now. <laughs> going, yeah, no. it's not a visual medium I know we're in right now. But the LA theatre scene is really um, small. It's really tiny. Yeah, okay. it exists. It totally exists. And yeah. it's um, there's a lot of theatre makers there. I was part of a theatre company there which was really wonderful and beautiful and it, the thing with LA is that you really have to make your own opportunities yeah that, that's what everybody always says you know and it's it's the kind of you you can't wait I mean you would hear I would hear over and over again you, they're not gonna knock on your door with the script of a yeah, lifetime just, you, you, you have, have to, to do it you have to write your own <laughs> you have to find people to collaborate with if you're yeah. not a writer you've got to find writers that mm-hmm. can write something for you you've got to find directors who believe in you and want to cast you you have to be friends and or get fans have casting directors yeah. become fans and of your work yeah. exactly and so theater was a great way in LA for casting directors to see your work if you could get them to come to your oh, show okay. so it it was a, a wonderful opportunity, you know, to, you know, you'd send out your invites. And a lot of casting directors would come to theater. They did. Oh, and so they would come and they would see your work and they would keep you in your files, you know, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Or you'd have a, you know, you'd follow, I'd follow up with them or sometimes casting directors would um, cast me in commercials and things like that because I would do that as well as commercial because it was easy, you know, work and wouldn't take a lot of your time and it was well paid. Um, So, yeah, it was just about keeping in touch with people. It was networking and really just making people fans of your work and knowing that every time they saw you that you would deliver. So the theater scene was really small. For me, and I think for a lot of other people in that world, it was a way to um, stay active because so much of LA is you're not working, yeah. you know? And so if you're not doing classes, if you're not doing improv, it, which I was doing, but you know, the only other thing you have are auditions. Yeah. That last 1.5 seconds, basically, you go yeah. in the room, you do your thing and you leave, and then maybe you get a call back, and then maybe you get another call back, and then you do your job, and that's yeah. great. But yeah. maybe you're just working for a day or two on set. 
where with theater it was it's constant you yeah. know you you if especially I was in a theater company we were always working on the next play and you're casting you're rehearsing you're yeah. um deciding what play you're going to do it's 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 inspiring you're around What's other artists access to space like that because I know we have a very different kind of infrastructure for mm. theater and a lot more kind of public funding and yeah. it's diminishing yeah all the time but yeah. we do still have some Fucking so Tories. is it yeah no absolutely and is it difficult to get kind of space because we have a lot of kind of access to space here I think in terms of being yeah. able to make work and present yeah. work yeah. and a lot of free platforms yeah is that also a challenge it's, just, it's a huge challenge in LA we just I mean not even LA in the United States we just yeah. don't have the public funding in the arts as much as it exists here and yeah. and I feel like and we it, whinge about it constantly I know the reality but it's like it shut is. the fuck up yeah. you guys yeah exactly I mean <laughs> we don't have an arts council so we don't have the arts council like no. how you guys have it no. we do have an arts and humanities um, organization that does give money but yes. it's, it's really is to bigger things you know how you guys have like your national portfolio organizations like the National yeah, Theater yeah. and that kind of stuff of course that exists in the states too but here I feel like the opportunities for smaller artists for people who emerging artists for people who don't have the National Theater behind them yeah. they have more of an opportunity here and I yeah. really admire that it was one of the the things when I moved here that I was really excited about just that that a culture that absolutely values that yeah. is really refreshing coming from you know the United States where I'm from which we just don't have that as much you really have to do mega crowdfunding you have to invest in it yourself yeah. you have to get your friends and family to back you it comes out of your own pocket credit card debt it's yeah huge. no absolutely people absolutely. people spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds thousands of dollars on their own shows in LA mm -hmm. um, with no support from public funding at all so it, it's very difficult yeah. yeah so that leads me very nicely into you um, kind of the next thing which is you're here with uh, as part of the Brighton Fringe Festival with your solo show which is called Coming Clean yeah so I know we've mentioned it a little bit earlier but yeah. can we ha kind of talk about that in a little bit more detail yeah. so tell us a bit about the show try not to give too many spoilers yeah um, because obviously people might want to come and yeah see. of course <laughs> so what are you doing here what is the show about and yeah. kind of what makes it unique really so um, the show it's called Coming Clean Life as a Naked House Cleaner mm -hmm. um, we found out recently there's another show called Coming Clean not here at Brighton Fringe but oh, yeah I know okay. it's an old published play so my right. producer is like dude make sure she said mate make sure you say the whole <laughs> the title whole thing. Yeah, Coming Clean Life as a Naked House Cleaner um, well it came about because when I moved to uh, London from Los Angeles about six years ago, um, I really wanted to take a break from, um, I was feeling very burnt out from my life in LA. It was very exhausting. I lived yeah. there for 11 years. It was really the kind of rat race of well, LA. Well, it's full on, isn't it? You, yeah. and you, the moment you take a break, then you've got to start yeah. all over again. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really wanting to get away. And so I, I came to London with the idea that I would stay here. And then I did. And I, I immediately just kind of took a break when I came to London. And I actually started a stationery company. So I made greeting cards. Ah. I still have the company. But um, it's called Fracas Studio. And um, do you have a website? I do. Yeah, fracastudios.com. Excellent. Go yeah. have a look. All handmade <laughs> cards. There's cassette tapes on the cards. It's all real things oh, on the cards. Fabulous. Like ephemera. Oh. It's like oh, old shit. I that love people that don't care about stuff. anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I started that company and I started building it. It was really creative and it fed my creativity because mm -hmm. that's basically how I live is like off my creativity. That's what I'm driven yeah, by. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, while I was building the company. I, and I talk about this in the show, which you'll see this afternoon. 
I knew that I wanted to also um, do something else besides my company. I was still, um, I needed to make money. Um, And (laughs) I decided to put all of my passions together, which was I loved um, cleaning. I love just taking care. I love transforming a place, okay? Mm-hmm. I love um, looking at other people's houses, like peeping into people's houses. Absolutely. I love people, <laughs> as I've expressed to you before. I love strangers. Yeah. I love talking to people. So I knew I was going to meet her. And I do like being naked. <laughs> so I thought, what can I do with all those things? <laughs> And then my true calling revealed itself naked to me. Cleaning. Yeah, naked house cleaning, exactly. Wow. Yeah, with the help of Oprah, the O magazine. Did you know that Oprah has a magazine? Ah, no, I did not. Comes out monthly. Yeah. Wow. Here we okay. talk about it in the show. Yeah. So I, I made the vision board slash mood board slash dream board. Mm-hmm. Do you know that thing? You know, you mm-hmm. cut yeah, things yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I cut up my O magazine and I discovered my true calling of naked house cleaning. Wow. So I started my own business. And it was just me and the company. And um, I started cleaning people's houses naked. And in the beginning, it really was kind of, um, well, it was a laugh for me. It was like, this is hysterical. You know, I love this joke. And then it was also um, very freeing, but also really scary because, you know, when you tell people you're a naked house cleaner, I mean, it's not the the first thing that people expect from you. Well, you're very vulnerable as well, aren't you? You're going into strangers' homes. There's a lot of trust that kind exactly. of comes with that yeah but it, it just reminds me an awful lot of um a lot of the live art and performance art that was kind of coming out of the 70s as yeah. well which is one of my passions so yes. i think there's some real interesting and the idea of domesticity and yes so i find that absolutely fascinating and i think there's something really brave about that too but it does make you vulnerable it totally does yeah. yeah i mean there's People's so homes. many there's so many <laughs> factors yeah you're going into a stranger's house you yeah. don't know who this person is I, I wasn't like nervous necessarily like oh i'm gonna get murdered or something no, like no. that but i definitely was yeah like I don't, you don't know what's going to happen. But that, for honestly, for me, was the thrill of it. That and pets. It, it to- exactly. Oh, man. Yes. Cats trying to walk on me. It's not great. Um, yeah. So I didn't know, you know, who or what I was going to meet along the way. Yeah. But that was the part that was also really exciting and one of, exactly. kept me going back to it. It was a little uh-huh. bit addictive in a way, you know. Okay. It was like, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know the energy, what was going to happen. If it would feel more sexual sometimes with my clients or if it would be very voyeuristic mm-hmm. or if it would be very therapeutic. I always yeah. said that I was part... Um, naked entertainer, okay, mm-hmm. you know, just prancing yeah, around someone's cool. house cleaning, okay, they're watching me. I was part therapist yeah. and I was part house cleaner. Yeah. I was like getting it all done, you know? Exactly. So, because I did a lot of listening to, to yeah. my clients, they really, really opened up to me. And what kind of, I mean, do you have, I mean, I'm assuming this is um, yeah. something that you talk about a lot in the show, but is there a kind of a huge, broad range of different clients that so you have? So many, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I only, one of the things that people ask me all the time after the show is, um, did you clean for any women? Because I only talk about men that I clean for in the show. Because I only had men clients. So it was always like gay, bisexual, or repressed gay, bisexual men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, out gay men too and out bisexual men. But also there was some hidden stuff going on for sure that I would find out when I got there and I'd start thinking, hmm, I'm sensing a girlfriend in the picture. I I didn't always Ah, know. Maybe they lived there, maybe they didn't. Houses sometimes give away. Yeah, there were pictures or there would be just... Or sometimes people told me that they had a girlfriend and they had an open relationship or or their girlfriend didn't live with them or their wife and they were separating. So maybe they were starting to explore their sexuality, other things. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I met all kinds of people. But I I did, when I started writing the show, I thought, God, I would really love to clean for some women because I'd love to have that in my show as kind of another voice, another experience. 
and it just didn't work out. I didn't when I put ads up. I just didn't get women responding, and oh. and I think that says a lot actually in the sense of. I didn't work for an agency, okay? There is a such a thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of Butlers and the Buff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's like an agency, right? So yes. you know that's kind of controlled. There's lots of naked chefs now as well. Exactly. Women do seem to book that a lot more, but for groups of women, I think. Totally. Hen parties. Absolutely. Yeah, and also, if you're going to an agency, they're saying, hey, these people, these men are verified. Exactly. They're not going to come invented. to your house and rape yeah. you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> me just putting an ad up on websites... It's like, who could be coming to my house? I think when it's a man-on-man thing, it's a different dynamic. There was yeah, definitely was a gender like disparity there. There was something going on there that I experienced. So um, it didn't work out for me to clean any women. But if anybody's listening and needs their house cleaned by a man, I'm available. You and know? you have a website, don't you? They can reach you through your website. Yeah, too. so we have comingcleantheshow.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which you can get in touch with me there, of course. Yeah, <laughs> And if you come to the show, I hand out my business card that has my naked cleaning email as well. Perfect. Yeah. But yes, I met a lot of different kinds of men. And was that mostly in London or did you... It was all London. All yeah. London Although I did take my shit on the road and when I would go to sometimes to San Francisco or LA to visit friends and to work, I did some work there for my ah, greeting card okay. company. Yeah. I would sometimes throw up an ad and do a couple. Um, yeah, yeah. None of those stories are in the show, but yeah. um, I did do it in America too. I did. Not okay. not extensively though because I, <laughs> I live in London. So, yeah, no, yeah. of course. But yeah, I'm open to doing it wherever I travel. So you're on um, during the Fringe Festival, but you also... I'm gonna. I'll come back to this. Actually, I wanted to ask you about uh, your relationship with Jill Patterson because she has directed the show. You've written the show, yes, and Jill has directed it. So, how did that relationship kind of come about, and what's that been like working with something you've written and something that's that's kind of your material with Mm -hmm. someone then kind of directing you on the outside? Jill has been an incredible director. I cannot speak highly enough of her. I when I met Jill, I just knew that we were going to get on along like a house on fire. I mean, it just was, I was really, I looked for a long time for a director. Well, a couple months, which felt like a long time to me. When it I, does. Yeah, it did. And I, I'd finished the script and you know, you have this baby in your hands that you've worked on. I worked on it for a year and... And it's autobiographical, so exactly. it's so personal. Exactly. And it was the first time too that I was letting other people read it when I was meeting with directors. Yeah. And you know, that opens you up to a lot of criticism and a lot of people have different ideas of what they think the show should be and maybe it doesn't meet my vision and so you've got to really find that in a director and so um, I met Jill through her mentor actually this man named Chris Grady um, he he recommended me to this woman um, Tanya who um, said you should she could maybe direct your show and then Tanya said actually I can't but I know this woman named Jill and that was also Chris's mentor he mentored them both actually ah, okay, okay. and so um, Jill and I met and I just like I said she just she really got where I was coming from I would I would often meet with directors and I would know within the first five minutes if it was going to work out or not based yeah. on one thing and that was I felt like when I would tell them about my show even even if they hadn't read the script if they gave me this face and I know that we're on a podcast so it's a visual meeting so you can't see it <laughs> that's you know, that's not a big, but it would be the Ooh, like to when I talked about my clients, like, okay. oh, oh, gross. And somebody even referred to one of them as a pervert. And I was like, it's never going to work because, no. because I'm in the business of what I'm doing, of trying to de 
De- make it so that people don't look at this like you're a pervert. You exactly. know what I mean? You know, exactly. kind of. Because that's the assumption of this kind of deviation from the norm. And exactly. That is so problematic in yeah. itself, anyway. Yes. So exactly. <laughs> this this idea that if you're expressing your sexual fantasy in any way that doesn't kind of fit into our cultural norms, that you are a pervert. Yes. You're a weirdo. You are a deviant. You yeah. know, and and we've seen this in society. And all of that fantasy tends to be kind of white middle class male. Yeah. Straight. Yeah, absolutely. Fantasy that seems to be validated by culture, but anything yeah. that's outside of that is considered fetishism or a, a perversion. Exactly. And that's devastating for it's, most of us. It's absolutely devastating and so fucking annoying. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was like, and that, and before when you had asked me about, you know, being a naked cleaner, it was like, I talk about this a lot in the show, is that I didn't want to tell people that that's what I did because I didn't want to. Um, get into this conversation about you know sexuality and prostitution potentially yeah, and exactly and like oh well, you're naked and you know like what does that entail when you're naked with them and you know and is it sexual and all this kind of stuff and I just thought oh my god this is just it felt again I felt really vulnerable to the public and, yeah, and yeah. to people I'd meet at the parties meet at parties and they'd ask you know about my life it was a funny story on yeah. one hand but also really serious you know and not a conversation that you typically have with a stranger you know like there's more to it than just yeah people watch me yeah. clean naked that's part of it but it's all there's much deeper than that of course of course yeah and so I just felt that when I met Jill, she got it. She totally 100% got it. She knew exactly what I was trying to do with the show, what I was trying to say. She understood what it means to have a broad view of human sexuality. She understood that things exist on a spectrum, you know, that, that things aren't black and white. The pendulum Absolutely. just doesn't swing, you know, one way or the other. There's there's a middle ground for things. And so, like sexuality, you know, it's like people just want you're either gay or you're straight, period. That's it, you know? <laughs> That's it. There's no middle ground, you know? And it's the same in sexuality, just like you said. It's like there's certain ways you have sex and sexual desire that fits into probably like straight white guy, you know, thing. And and then there's the other, which is everybody else, you know? It's like, what about women's fantasies? Yeah, women, I think, are very kind of marginalized in terms of that, or they're really kind of homogenized. You've got terrible things like Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly. Exactly. They're on one hand, really wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. On one hand, that opens up the discussion. Of course, but it's, which it, is it, helpful. Yeah. But I think um, that is kind of that's considered risque for the mainstream, and you just think, come on now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're like, look at my life. You yeah. Know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really healthy to have those discussions, and mm-hmm. I think work like this can make those more accessible, and I yep. think that is important. Yeah. So I was going to ask you. Um, you described the show in the Brighton uh, Fringe Festival as immersive. So I wanted to get a little bit more information about what do you mean by that? What does that word mean to you? This is a ridiculously problematic term. Everybody so uses much. it for everything at the moment. And oh, it kind of means everything and nothing. I know. It's been <laughs> such a nightmare for us, I have to say. Because yeah. on one hand, when I used those terms in the beginning, I... Um, didn't have my producer at the time. And then when my producer, Julia, came on board um, in the middle of this year, she 
was like, oh God, immersive interactive. Oh no, I think we should take it out, da da da. Yeah. And so the Brighton Fringe thing had already gone to print by that yeah, point. Yeah, no, I so, know, I've had exactly the same issue. Yeah. They want everything so early. Yeah. And everyone keeps saying to me, oh, your blurb for your show is really vague. I'm like, yeah, I wrote it months and yeah. months before I started exactly. really working on this yeah. show. So the original <laughs> idea between the immersive, the idea between using the word immersive in the beginning was I, I wanted people because the show takes place in people's homes. That's yes, the that's what I was going to ask you about as well. Yeah. That really, really interests me. Yeah. So what we wanted to create in the beginning was that we would do this show not in a traditional theater space because we didn't want people sitting in the dark in rows in passivity. That yeah. wasn't interesting to me at all. No. So part of what I wanted to create with my show was a community in the moment of interaction and observation and that we would feel like we were in something together and that yeah. the piece was created not only by me, but by what other people may do or say during the show, okay? Yeah. And I don't, when I say do, I don't mean like they're going to get up and strip off or something like that, no. <laughs> but I, I guess mean, they might, you never yeah, know. Yeah, it's true. You never true. know. I've seen all things, let do. me tell you. <laughs> um, but we wanted to really create I mean, somebody actually, they said to me, wow, it sounds like you're doing a mix between some kind of immersive show, like a punch drunk, you know, the people who do, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you walk around the hotel or you walk around yeah. this old TV studio, something like that, even though we don't move from the living room, but it's immersive in that you're in somebody's house, you know, yeah. you're immersed in a different environment and a TED talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that's actually really true. Yeah. Although in TED Talks, people, the audience doesn't talk back. But um, but there is a massive history of work happening in domestic kind of spaces, I think, like this. If you look at artists like uh, Bobby Baker and Adrian Howells, mm -hmm. they've very much taken... And again, it's not about pretending, it's about autobiography. And it's yeah. about inviting someone into your space or them inviting them you into yeah. their space. And yeah. that really excites me. And that's something I'm really fascinated with yeah. is... And especially because of what you're talking about yeah. as well in the work. And exactly. then to take it into those spaces yeah. where potentially that could, could, has, maybe would happen. Yeah. What excited me about it so much was that it was in someone's home. Okay. So I went to people's houses and cleaned naked. So I didn't know where I was going when I would get the address and then I would show up to these men's houses, right? Yeah. The same thing exists now for the audience. When you buy your ticket, you get the address 24 hours before. Yeah. If you buy the ticket on the day of, if we're not sold out, which we have been, um, you will get the address like after you buy the ticket, mm -hmm. like a few few minutes later or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you get the address, you rock up to this house, you have no idea where, you know, you just know the tube stop and then you get the address and you show up and you don't know whose house it is, you don't know who's gonna be inside, you know that I'm gonna be there, okay? Of so you know, yeah, yeah so yeah, that's yeah. good news. But you don't know the other <laughs> participants and stuff. And I love that the audience gets to have that same feeling that I had. Yeah. It's nerve wracking, it's exciting, it's fun, mm -hmm. you know? But that's yeah, how I yeah, feel. No, anyway. course, yeah. So course. it creates that that thing. Then immediately when people come in, I want to put everybody at ease. That's something that's really important mm -hmm. to me. Like as a TV presenter, you are literally the host, right? You host people. Yeah, so I want to make people feel comfortable. Yeah. So I greet people at the door with my assistant slash stooge, Kath. You'll see her tonight. She's wonderful. Right. Um, we have a lot of great banter and fun in the show. She's part of the show. Her relationship, our, her role in the show has grown exponentially <laughs> as we've been keep doing. She'll be throwing lines in now. She's calling out, making jokes at me from the back of the audience. Now she sits in the back and... 
Um, so Kath and I, we greet you at the door. You know, she's a very lovely English person who has the most warm personality you could possibly imagine. I'm a very warm American person. So we immediately yeah. take everybody's coats. We welcome them in. Mm-hmm. They come. They sit in the living room. You know, it's uh, typically we have people bring their own drinks. So, you know, people get out their drinks. And I have a little prompting card that I give everybody where they write down. I have a little question and you write down the answer to it. Okay. So that gets kind of people thinking. It's about yeah, sexual yeah, fantasy, the question. I won't tell you what it is but um and so I get people started and I, I just chit chat with people before yeah. we get this show so it's not like I suddenly make some big grand entrance you know no, I'm not no. like you know I'm not like share at a concert while I come out of the floor well, or Gareth something. White and a couple of other people who write about immersive say that it's about putting the audience inside something so mm-hmm. in reality you're putting us inside your experience yeah, yeah. even when we come to a kind of I mean even this isn't strictly a performance-based performance no, space. No, exactly. Yeah, this is it's not, not a domestic space no. per se, but it is a space where people rest and stay exactly. and come to live even yeah. for a short period of time. Totally. Because it's a hotel. Exactly. Yeah. So it's still not kind of a theatre space. No. This was a real departure for us because we really wanted to only do it in houses, and yeah. we did. And so we, we've been doing the show since the end of January, basically every weekend, every Saturday we did it. And we moved around different houses, so it would be kind of word of mouth. We'd, somebody would see the show and they said, oh, I think my friend oh, should I host it. it yeah. yeah, so we had a couple booked in advance, and then it kind of led from there. Great. And I also did it at my house, too, which was really fun and cool. And um, so we kind of move it around. We did one in London. We wanted to try one in a more public space, so we did it in a hotel in London. And yeah. it was kind of like this. It wasn't in a hotel room. Yeah. That would be funny. That would Everyone's be sitting awesome. on the bed That would be something. so good. I know. I have a dream about doing that. <laughs> but um, I just worry people are going to be all sitting on the bed and their back will hurt after a while. But Maybe. we did it in the, the Green Rooms Hotel. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's in it's in London and it's an artist hotel. Yes, actually I have. Yeah, yeah. an artist can come and stay. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a cheaper um, night to stay if you're an artist, which yes. is just so incredibly important for London. It's so overpriced. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're an artist and you need to stay in London and work, you yes. can stay there. And it's really beautiful. It's beautifully designed. It's you know beautiful furniture. It's got communal spaces as well, so yeah. you can have meetings and exactly. It has a beautiful and bar, yeah. and it's just really beautiful. And the rooms are great. And so we did it. We use one of their um, back rooms that they use for meetings and stuff that people can rent out. So we use that space and we did it. And that was cool, but it creates a different energy. But yeah. you can fit more people into that. Yeah. And it's like here, all the the houses that we were doing in London, it's. 15 to 30 people wow, is how much we do. I had one house we did 30, which yeah, was incredible. Yeah. But most living rooms fit 15 comfortably. And so just, and, you know, we can squeeze like yeah. up to 20 sometimes. I think I fit like, we can fit maybe three people in my living room. Oh my, my house God. Is okay, really so that, that will not be financially doable if we come to Portsmouth. For <laughs> no, you. my house yeah. is really small. Yeah. <laughs> All the houses in Portsmouth are like that. Oh, okay. They're Good either to know. Teeny, weeny, 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 like a little Victorian sort yeah. of terraces or enormous... Are they mansions? Like mansions. So I need to befriend some mansion people. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I did have friends that had big, 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 big house on the seafront, but they've moved away now. So I <gasps> okay. know. That would have been a shame because they could have fitted loads in there. Oh, room. God. Okay. Their living room was bigger than this. Okay. Mm, okay. This is a good size, too. <laughs> My living room is smaller than this little... I know you can't. guys can't see it, yeah. but it's smaller than the stage... That bit of that. Okay, yeah, so teeny tiny. Yeah. Teeny tiny. Mm-hmm. It might be a show for one, just you. Yeah. Well, this is always the issue, isn't it? Is when you're trying to find non theatrical spaces because yeah. the trouble with those theatrical spaces is they come with already with a contract mm. and not a contract that is useful yeah. for the dramatic of what it is that you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, but then the domestic space comes with all of those other things, yeah. which again create new challenges. Absolutely. Which is what I was going to ask you about is. 
So you've done it in lots of different people's homes now. Yes. Is there anything that has happened that has kind of really thrown you or surprised you? So much, so much. Or changed how you think about everything? Absolutely. I mean, there are moments when I would do the show that I was like, oh my God, maybe I should just do it in a theater. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because, like, so here at the New Steen, okay, we've tried to create... Like right now we're in this room that I, they use as like a dining room and like overspill or whatever. So they've yes. cleared it out and we have all these chairs in here. And I do have a little stage that they brought in for me. And we do have lights. They have lights and stuff. So this is a real departure for us in that we have like, I'm really well lit, you know, yeah. usually. But I've tried to make this space feel like it's a living room with lights dotted about. Yeah, and you can see. Say, yeah, it does have that homely Exactly. Vibe. So kind of homely. There's a fireplace here. So just like that the, the audience is lit. They're not in darkness. Yes. So that every time you come into my show in someone's house... It's it's the le- the living room lights are on. It's not, and then there's yeah. more lights on me just so you can see me a little bit better. But it's still like these kind of lights, you know, just table lamps and stand up yeah. lamps. So when I was in people's houses, strangers' houses, or you know, sometimes I wouldn't know them, but I I met them before. Yeah, you know, I'd yeah, say, I went over to their house and checked it out. So we got to know each other. Yeah. Now the one thing is that you can't control are the people that come to the show that are maybe their friends or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So what I'd find was. When people come to their friend's house and they've been there before and now there's a show in the living room of their friend's house, they would sometimes feel they had some ownership over the show and they would be a little bit ah. out of control. Oh, that's So a little bit with the drinking and with the, because it's their friend's house chit-chatting to their neighbor, taking out their phone. So Kath and I ah. had to learn very quickly... How we need to, to we need to set some rules. Yeah. So now mm-hmm. you'll see tonight. Kath comes out and she introduces. Before we never did that before because I always said in my kind of press stuff that it's like going to your best friend's housewarming party. Yeah, That's yeah, the feeling yeah. I want so you to have. So of course people will get out their phones and exactly <laughs> big mistake on my part. Yeah. So now we set this rule of basically this is not a traditional theater space, but it's still theater, and yeah. you need to respect the boundaries of yeah. I will talk to you during the show, and that's great. Yeah. But please be respectful of me and be respectful of the other people in the audience. Yeah. Yeah, don't over talk you know what I mean like have a don't hijack the show you know if you want your own fucking show write your own right show, show exactly. you know yeah and so there, those were some of the things that we had to deal with in the beginning of people yeah. being a little bit too relaxed yes. which I think happens when you're trying to do something alternative well it's those contracts isn't it and I found that actually um, with the fringe and because of my interest is in immersive and interactive and I find myself in some very unusual places to see different kind of performances mm-hmm. but what that does is it means that the rules are not necessarily Explicit, or yeah. the contract of the space exactly. is not necessarily. Sometimes it is really explicit yep. because it's rule based, so mm-hmm. you'll know the rules, and it's game based, even maybe. Totally. But of course, you're right. In that space that you know, if it's yep. a friend's house, or if it's even if it's your house, yeah, there's a very different dynamic that comes with that. So it's about establishing, I guess, the rules of engagement. Yep. And we do now. And the one thing I will say, this is interesting, actually, for immersive theatre. We did notice that once we set, started setting stronger boundaries and stronger rules with people, because Kath does it and then I kind of reiterate it in the beginning, yeah. I noticed that it kind of kept people a little bit quieter mm. in general. So you're always going to get the person who wants to talk and wants to participate and wants to kind of be the star of, of the show too, which yeah. is fine. I get that. <laughs> I can handle them because I'm a good TV host. Of course. You know, I can handle yeah, anybody. Absolutely. But at the same time, 
there may be that person who was a little bit shyer and if I didn't set the rules as strong, they may have spoken up yeah. and now they won't because they're like, oh, I don't want to hijack the show because I say that. I say, don't try to hijack. So yeah. they may be, it's the person who's kind of on the border of wanting to talk and not wanting to talk. Yeah. But I think sometimes maybe quiets them a little bit. Now, I always encourage people. I say, come in, but I have noticed since we've been strong, setting stronger boundaries that people are maybe a little bit quieter than normal, mm-hmm. which I try to mitigate that by encouraging people and the people who do speak, I kind of yeah. encourage them to speak a little bit more so people feel well, a little bit more comfortable. Well, it's hard to get the boundaries because I've been to things where audience get really wild and really out of control. Yeah. And that can be, spoil it for other people exactly. as well, I think. That's what so, happened a couple of times. Yeah. Not, not for the whole show, but in that moment. But it's really hard. It's really, it is hard to find that exact kind of balance. I mean, I make very different kind of work, so... But I make an invitation, and once I've done that, I have to run with whatever they choose to do. But I found the more rules I give them, the more freedom they seem to have, because mm. they feel there's a security in that. Oh yeah, I know it's like kids in isn't that country. Yeah, because yeah. when you go to the theatre and the lights go out, you know the rules. You know you'd be quiet, exactly. you sit still, exactly. You do the things. You would never take out your phone. No, in the theatre, at the national oh, theatre, would you be? I think it's changing. Do you think people are starting to do that? I now? do. I mean, just in the cinema, which. Oh, drives Jesus. me crazy if yeah. you're one of those people listening who gets your phones out and spends the whole time chatting to your friend and talking on your phone. Oh, Stop it. God. It's so annoying. Go That's to the just pub. So disrespectful. I know. Yeah. But apparently I was reading um, some of my colleagues write about reception theory uh, in terms of musical theatre in the West End. People are taking takeaways in and eating them during shows. And... <laughs> no. Yeah. Bringing their full on meal in. Yeah. yeah. And massive shopping bags and getting phones out. And so I think the culture is... <sighs> The contracts of that space, I think, are massively shifting. Yeah. Because of the way I think that West End is very commodified now. Mm. Because it is a case of, you know, I've paid my money, so yeah. I'm going to behave however I choose. Right. And I think we're seeing this attitude more and more and more. So, of yeah. course, the moment you're not even in a space that is deeply indicative, you know, and the lights go out, you're supposed to be quiet. Totally. You're not supposed to eat your Chinese takeaway and get your phone out. <laughs> I had, someone bring a, I had someone bring a Chinese takeaway to one of my shows. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, cracked me up. I would just never. I would I know, just never. I know, I know. It was great. I mean, the thing about my show, I have to say, is really great, is I have a lot of freedom to just make jokes at them absolutely, and talk to them. Absolutely. Whereas if I was doing a straight play or something or what, there was no audience interact. you know, like if yeah. I, I, you know, if you're in character, it would if be hard to go, excuse me. Yeah. Can you stop eating your Chinese? Chinese? Although I've heard of actors doing that on stage. Yeah, but, no, yeah. there's been some instances again on the West End. I think the last three or four years, actually, there's been this really big shift in audience behaviors, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Whether it's because um, it's that commodity and people are like, well, I've paid, so I kind of own it which is really interesting. I own my experience. The entitlement is just beyond me. Yeah. I'm just like, just for me, I just think it is so disrespectful to the artist. But think about the people around you. That's the part that drives me a That's the thing, because it's a communal experience. Theatre is very rarely something experienced. Yeah. On your own. Exactly. <laughs> Except so, in your house when I come to my show and do it. For yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll be me and the dogs. Exactly. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> and they're very disrespectful. They're likely to talk oh, about the Oh, they look at their iPhones and shit. <laughs> Selfie sticks. Yeah, and... just chatting away to each other. Okay. Eating their dinner. <laughs> hey, I'm used to it. I can handle it. I've handled some animals in my audience. I can handle it. No. But I have to say, mostly everyone has been so incredibly 
awesome. Yeah. Just so engaged, so right there, so respectful. Mm-hmm. They're just, of course, it's just a learning curve when, yeah. when you're in other people's homes. Well, it's learning. a negotiation in a, in a way I think yeah. that traditional theatre isn't. Exactly. Because when you invite that kind of engagement mm-hmm. and that kind of interaction, yeah. it is. it then does become a dialogue. Absolutely. And again, I always talk about this again, but training for that is really difficult with mm-hmm. students because they ask me, how do you do it? How do you sit in... Because I do one-on-one work a lot, yeah. so I sit and they're like, how do you do that? And it's like, well, it's just... It's a learning curve that yeah. comes through doing it. Yeah. And I think it's like you, you've been talking about, you know, you as you go, you kind of pick up these skills yeah. and you learn these things. But yeah. I think what has to underlie it is an interest in people. Yes, yeah. And interaction and understanding how to engage with other human beings. The, the baseline <laughs> of the show and of being a naked cleaner is that everybody wants to be seen and heard. That's yeah. it. They yeah. want to be seen and heard. They want to know that you are interested in what they're saying and that their experience somehow has validity in the world. We're all looking for that. And so I feel like when I do invite that from the audience members, I try to make everyone feel seen and heard and, and encourage their, um, you know, their experience and that it's totally valid. And I'm right there with them. The, The trick in that moment is if they are kind of a big talker is to not cut them off in a way that goes, okay, now shut up. Which Then they're going to maybe leave going, Oh, I felt validated. Now I don't know. Is to just find a way to wrap it up in a little bow and move on to the next. Especially because you know, you do have time. That's that's the thing, isn't it? They're timed. You have a set time to do things in. And when you invite in participation like that, that is very elastic. Yeah. This is what I have found. You kind of put in your fringe brochure like an hour-ish. Totally. Because it totally depends on how people engage. Sometimes totally. people will not really engage a great deal and yeah. things move swiftly. Exactly. Other times people really want to engage and then adds half an hour to your show. Totally. I'm pretty good <laughs> at like knowing that I, I yeah. can talk to three people and that's pretty much my time limit. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I do sometimes, because I do have a moment in the audience uh, in the middle of the show where um, it's a big audience participation and it goes back to the little cards that they fill out in the beginning. Yeah. I read them out loud anonymously and people can take credit for what they wrote if they want to. And it's the best part of the show. It's my favorite part of the show because it really engages everybody. Yeah. So even if one person's taking credit for what they wrote down, everybody feels like they're a part of it. I can feel it. And I yeah. knew that I won one time in my very first show, actually. Um, it was somebody took credit for what they wrote down and they, I was asking them questions about what they wrote. It was about a sexual fantasy. And somebody else, unprompted by me in the audience, turned around and asked that person a question about their sexual fantasy. And I thought, that's what I want to create. Yeah. It's not just, it's like my friend's world thing. I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm, it's not, I don't know everything. I don't need to facilitate. I'm just the facilitator. Facilitator. Yeah. Exactly. So when that person did that, it was just one quick general question. It wasn't like, you know, they weren't going on forever or something. And it was just, oh my God, they're, they're totally engaging. Yeah. I just, it, I just kickstarted it. But you've and opened now, up and facilitated exactly. that dialogue, yeah. that discussion, yeah. which I think is really exciting. And that, it's just felt like such a great moment because it just really means that everybody's engaged with one another. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to do in the show is that I want people to talk more about their sexual fantasies, about their desires. Yeah. There's too much secrecy around it. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like if I can kind of create that dialogue amongst the, you know, 15 to 35 people that are in the room that yeah. night, then I've really succeeded in doing something. And of course, you know, they, if they see you, which they will do because of it, yeah. the show, sharing your experiences, sharing the things that you've yeah. been through in a kind of open and witty and engaging way, yeah. and in a really uh, generous way, I think that in itself is always 
kind of facilitates exactly that kind of dialogue totally. and raises up those things so that we can talk about them in the open and not turning the lights down exactly or dimming the lights yes yeah. and it's not just about me it's not yeah. just about me you know it's like yes I'm an actor I like attention you know I'm a performer but this really I really really want to create a conversation and I want it to exist outside of this room yeah. like, you know outside yeah. of this experience that you have I really really hope that well I know that people have told me they've emailed me I was going to say what yeah. feedback have you had what kind of um, how do audience email you afterwards? Yeah. They chat to you? People have emailed me say? and people have told me that they went home and they started talking about sex or sexual desire with their partners or they started talking about it with their mom or, Great. you know, they started talking about it with their kids or yeah. they just kind of, that they, that they felt that something shifted in them and that they felt maybe the permission or they had the agency now to, to kind of be more bold about something that they hadn't been before. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that goes for me too. I mean, I'm inspired by people in the audience. When when sometimes when I read some of the fantasies out loud or something, people really take ownership of their stuff. And I think, wow, wow you know, I've signed up to do this. Like, I wrote a show. I know what I'm getting myself into. Absolutely. But you just came to the show. You're not necessarily a performer. You're probably not. You know, and you've just been inspired to, to kind of share or been brave to do it yeah. and I just find that really really inspiring and it, it inspires me to, yeah. to keep doing what I'm doing and to know that I'm on the right track as a performer as an artist what kind of people come to the show because of course venues tend to have kind of particular audiences that yeah. populate them of course so you kind of know you know if you're doing a piece at the BAC or you're doing yeah. a piece at the place you know totally. who's coming yeah. or at the national you know who's coming yeah. mostly but when you're stepping into mm-hmm kind of other people's living room. It's been a real, it's been, it's, we've had all different kinds of people. It's wow. been really incredible. It's a little bit like my, besides the fact that I didn't clean for any women, it's like every guy that I cleaned for was just had a different personality. I mean, it literally would be like, you know, somebody's completely out and he, you know, then total nerd balls, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, bisexual, gay, in the closet, not, my show's the same. I feel like I find a lot of um, straight hipster couples, which I love. I'm a hipster too, so that's not an insult. A lot, of straight, a lot of straight <laughs> hipster couples, which is wonderful. Like kind of the East London crowd, you know, yeah, I don't yeah, know if you yeah. know, you know, like the Hackney's Shoreditch, Shoreditch yeah. yeah. A lot of gay male couples that are also in that same demographic, like young hipsters, yeah. um, which is great. And I think also a little bit, it harkens back to my, when I told you that I was the kind of brand ambassador for Sunsilk, the um, female groups coming together, women yes. friends coming together, yeah, almost yeah. as if like the whole kind of gay best friend thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I found a lot of women coming together in friendships. So how do you, how have people kind of come to it? Is it mostly word of mouth? So yeah. someone's heard, so from a friend or from a colleague, someone's yeah. heard and then kind of people come to it? We've been building from slowly from word of mouth. It's been yeah. really incredible actually. I've been really impressed and I'm gonna say it proud of us proud of me and yeah, Jill no, and Julia my little team because we really have been we didn't have we didn't have money for a PR campaign in the beginning no, no. so we didn't have our marketing was absolutely through word of mouth so yeah. we've just been selling out all the shows in London through word of mouth so it's just kind of and, and also we we did we have been getting some a little bit of press here and there and we put up we started working with design my night I don't know if you know them and Eventbrite and so that people found out about from there absolutely we we had some stuff in timeout which was really helpful that's really helpful so <laughs> there, yeah very helpful um, we were on a we got some 
some press on this um, app called Dojo. It's all yeah. what's going on yeah, in yeah, that yeah. night in London yeah, or that it's, week. It's that, yeah, yeah, it's last minute tickets and things. Exactly, yeah. So it's really, really, we've just, so that kind of word of mouth spread from there. Or people would say, oh, my friend works at this company and, you know, or like a dojo. And I think that they'd be interested they'd in be you interested. sending the thing. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and, and mostly it's all been through people come to the show and then the people who are hosting their friends typically then will host. Yeah, I was going to say, it must start to really kind of spread out in that way. Totally. It, it, in some respects, it's a bit like Ann Summers party. Exactly. That's what it instantly what people I thought. say. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Yeah. So, oh, my yeah. friend had one, then I'm going to have one. Exactly. And so it starts yeah. to spread out. We're not selling dildos, but we're talking about them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Although I will say, just to clarify, that time, sometimes people think that when they host the show, that they have to sell it out with just their friends. And it's not like that. It's oh, the ticket ticket sales are open for everybody and wow. so I always okay, say yeah. it's, it's it's for the public so I always say you know oh definitely tell your friends to get on the tickets immediately if they want to come but also but it's open to the public yeah. so that's the great thing that I have loved is that when I get an audience that's usually like maybe um, a third the host friends, friends yeah. a third the general public wow. from strangers and maybe a third that had heard about it from me or my crew or something yeah, like that, yeah. or maybe a couple people that I knew in the audience on the periphery or through my work. Wow. That always is kind of a great audience. But here in Brighton, I I don't I don't know anybody. So and I had shows in London too where I didn't know anybody, but I, I met the host before. Yeah. And yeah. then they told me that their friends Whereas were. Whereas you're kind of hosting exactly here too. So I'm totally hosting. It here. brings a totally different Yeah audience it's not my space, space but it's it's like yeah welcome to the space that I've created but it is you. a festival audience and I think festival audiences again are much more game yeah and up for things in ways that definitely kind of some venue audiences aren't exactly because I think people are here looking for very particular things in a festival people kind of go this is what I like so I'm going to look through the, f the whole program and see what's exactly. on that's like this that's so, what I've done when I go to festivals yeah that's exactly yeah. what I do and as yeah. a researcher as well the first thing I do is I get it like when I was a little kid used to go through the Argos catalogue and circle everything I go through the yeah. Brighton Fringe and go right I want to see all these things and then see what's actually feasible totally <laughs> exactly yeah and in a festival you're also sometimes looking to maybe expand your to challenge yourself exactly. oh okay yeah give that a try do you want to go to that you know you can get like a yeah. last minute ticket yeah because you you're there in the day like, oh I'm seeing a show at this time and I'm, I've am i got a little gap here exactly. oh I'm going to go and see this this looks fun and exactly. different <laughs> exactly and it is I do have felt like here at the Brighton Fringe the festival the um, the audiences have been very different than, yeah. than the when we've been doing I was going to say how have they been different have they been really different to the domestic audiences you know I think they've been just different to the domestic audiences in the sense that um they they are a little bit more in the mindset of that they are coming to a traditional theater show. Okay. Yeah. Do you think they behave a little bit better? Yeah, they do. <laughs> a little yeah. bit better. Well, it's almost it's almost to the detriment sometimes of the yeah. show. I feel like yeah. they're a little bit quieter. Uh, and okay. because it's not a house, it does. Yes, it's a hotel, like we were saying. It, it's not a it's not a theater, and it's not a house. We're somewhere in the middle, but it does create. A difference, and because this is a downstairs space, you can see there's because um, we're in the basement of the hotel. I mean, there's windows, but it's all chairs, 
And in, in, when it's in a house, yeah. we have couches. Yeah, of course, of course. If there's something about people sitting, now, now, now everyone sits on a couch in the house because we have chairs there too. Yeah. But someone will be sitting in an armchair. Somebody will yeah, be sitting in, in dining of. room chairs. Someone yeah. will be sitting on, we have two couches in some houses. You know, sometimes one house had three couches. Wow. So I know it was the 30 people <laughs> house. It had three couches. So it, it, when you sit on a couch and watch a show, it's a very different than sitting in a chair it where you feel is. like you're in the theater. Yeah. And so down here at the new scene, we've also, we're a little bit in rows here. Where and and it's a little bit more semicircle in houses, of course, because you have to sort of squidge people in, I guess, yeah. and work around exactly kind of what's there. Yeah, <laughs> so people are a little bit more um, quieter, a little bit more. Um, uh, they don't participate as much. I've noticed as part of yeah. the houses. It's because chairs like this. It's about that contract again. Yeah. They they even when when the lights don't, it helps. I think yeah. even sitting like this instantly kind of yeah indicates a little bit towards those rules it does it's I'm, also it's also i'm conscious. watching yep. so i better exactly be, do that watch and be quiet totally <laughs> absolutely it's funny how we just instinctually do what we know we're supposed to do of course. it's nobody sit nobody comes down and sits in this row of three and goes oh god now i'm gonna be quiet i'm gonna turn off my phone and i'm gonna be well behaved and even when he talks to me i'm gonna just i'm some people even talk quieter i've noticed yeah so yeah. it'd be like oh well and i'm like speak up so speak that means up. you just have to bring yourself yep. more in I guess I you do have to work harder I come into the audience them, yeah. yeah I come into the audience I really encourage but in a house it feels just a little bit more cozy yeah because they're there with you on yep. that same level and exactly yeah you'll have to work harder to bring them I do to you yeah and, and like I said before I'm I'm higher up in this space yeah. I have I have a, like a spotlight on yeah, me yeah, you yeah. know it's I'm more well lit which is it's necessary because we need we, you need to see me it's kind of well, a of course it's, it's a bigger space isn't it exactly right? it's a bigger space it's not and, a living room <laughs> exactly there's there's only three windows at the back so it's yeah. it's darker so people need to see me but it, it does change the energy a little bit yeah, which is why I love doing it in a house but I've absolutely loved doing some it here of my at the new favorite scene. things I've ever been to have happened in kind of domestic spaces in living rooms and bathrooms but in people's homes in bathrooms yeah oh that's a good one I've been to very strange things in bathrooms oh my god you have to tell me about that <laughs> um yeah I went to a live art one-on-one -on -one festival oh. in Dub Dudley I think well near Birmingham anyway it was years and years and years ago now and um, there were lots of things that happened in kind of the cubicles in the bathrooms and things and like in cupboards under the stairs in the dark. And wow. It was like live art speed sexual day. Sexual things? Or? Um, some of them were sexual. Okay. Some of them weren't. Uh -huh. um, some of them were just like shaking your hand for five minutes or holding you. Basically, oh, each artist, I performed in it one of the nights and went and attended it as audience uh -huh. the other. But um, you get a date card. There's like 20 odd experiences going on, but you can only see eight Okay. So you have to choose, and um, when the bell goes, you have to go to a new person. So it's literally like speed dating, but it's live art. So that is so cool. They're all gestures, and they happen all around the building. And I've been to loads of different ones in different spaces. So you knew what people. you were going to do when you went into the room or the cupboard. No, no the audience didn't. have no idea. So you just chose where you, you wanted to go. You choose the name of your, or you choose a section, depending okay. on kind of who's running the event. Um, yeah, and you usually know very little. So you go, you know, you've got three minutes with the performer usually, or five minutes depending on, or one minute sometimes even. And when the bell goes, you have to move on. So wow, you literally have no idea. So it's just like speed dating, but live art dating. That's so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. Was it incredible? Yeah, I've been to so many different ones like that. And I run, um, I run a unit with my students on immersive performance. And one of the things we do in one of the weeks is we do a live art speed date. So I get half of them to develop three-minute pieces and cool. half of them to be audience. And then... 
and they, I say to them again, they've got the whole building, they can do it anywhere in the theatre building they want, but not in the theatre space. What an incredible education. <laughs> That's so great. It's, so I'm like, I just use d- the stairs, the toilets, the cupboards. Does it, my, my intu- intuition says that it frees them, does it? Yeah. Does it free them yeah, up I to just so. kind of change their whole, it's like what we were saying about the audience behaviors. Yeah. I think as we as performers do too. I'm you always get on a stage, you go, this is what I need to do. Yeah. Because, of course, when they come to us, they have very fixed ideas of what theatre is when they come yep. to us at 18 from college yep. because they've done all this kind of work leading them to that. And my first job is to kind of blow their minds. Totally. Because I teach them all the weird stuff. I teach them all the live art, the performance art, all the immersive. So great, yeah. So I just totally blow their minds. And they're like, this is not theatre. And I'm like, So great, yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to see their faces when you blow their minds over and over again and they tell them. They surprise me, actually. I think the young generation, well, the 18-year-olds, surprise me at their conservatism. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was a teenager in the 90s, so, and I think we, my generation was a bit wild, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm and I'm, I'm not really shocked by anything I, yeah. I don't even know what it would take to shock me so are they anymore. are they there are they like easily shocked very easily shocked okay and not very touchy-feely oh. either it's really intimacy is really challenging for them interesting and that's one one of the things where i have to they can't the first thing we do is get them to stand and look into each other's eyes for like three four minutes kills them and it kills them wow we'll definitely send I'm them like, to my wow, show yeah because absolutely. they will die <laughs> Yes. When they're hearing people share Frankly, and the shit I'm saying. They've all got bigger houses than me, so they should they should host it because they share, of course. They share these huge big houses. Oh, of course they do. So they have big living rooms and big dining rooms. Oh my stuff. god, they need to absolutely <laughs> They do. You need to get them to host me. Yeah, yeah. I will do. Well hopefully they well, this is on their reading list usually. Oh, so good. they are okay. supposed to listen to Tate. I don't know how Kids, many of them do. You better be or you're getting a mark down. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Although they've just done all their assessments this week for immersive, so oh, okay. that's exciting. But I'm on sabbatical, so I'm not currently teaching. Okay, uh, I haven't been teaching them since January, so oh, do you it's really them? weird for me. Yeah, I do really do. miss them. But um, I've been doing loads of performing, and they've been helping me out. Oh, cool. With because I think it's so good for them to give them access to that kind of professional work. Totally. So I get them to sort of sometimes if like my third years are extremely talented, then I might get them to perform with me. Great. And to do sections of the show, but I, yeah, get them to come along and kind of help out because I think so, that's the only real way to absolutely to learn and to get yeah. experience. And lots of my colleagues do the same. We all have very different kind of approaches to performance and areas of expertise and yeah. we all kind of invite those really keen students. It's the best way. Yeah. That was the thing about Friends yeah. World, you know, my university. Yes, it yeah. was experiential learning. Absolutely. You, you, you go, we would do a semester that. in the classroom mm-hmm. and then the second semester, wherever you lived, no matter yeah. it was India, you, you went out and you wow. worked. Like, so I worked with filmmakers and I worked That's on TV amazing. shows and I worked in, yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. You just can't teach that in a classroom that kind of learning there's nothing better there's nothing better than you literally are on the ground and they you know you're when you're working in your field and this is how it works go do this do this get this well i constantly say to them i mean we're a little bit disadvantaged in portsmouth to some respect because the course is about contemporary performance and not a huge amount of contemporary performance comes to portsmouth right but you know i just can't tell them enough you have to go i was like you have to go see good work you're never going to make good work until you start to go and experience exactly. all kinds of work. I was like, go to the theatre. They need to get inspired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. also see what they're going to be coming a part of, that community and that landscape yep. of other work that's out there. Totally. And I think that's part of the language they need to learn as well. But 
trying to tell them that. <laughs> Are you listening, kids? Yeah. Go to the bloody theatre. So do they do? Do they do it? Yeah, they make. They love making. But they don't all, always. But they don't make always necessarily the go. But actually, I think sometimes it's financial. Okay. Because they have to go to London a lot of the time That's to right. see things. So they have and to travel. Yeah, and it's 40, 50 prices. quid on the train, yeah. return. Then if it's late, it's hard to get home. It's true. So actually, I think in some respects, a lot of the, the, the location, I mean, it's a beautiful little city, Portsmouth, because yeah. it was tiny seaside yeah. city. It's so lovely. But we're a little bit at a disadvantage because you do have to sort of travel to get right. anywhere. It's true. And we're working quite hard to try and bring contemporary performance into the city, but mm-hmm. until there's a really established audience, I think... Yeah. That's going to be challenging. West End stuff does very well, and lots of West End stuff comes. It does, but I want them to see more contemporary, more unusual work. Absolutely, yeah. And that, but unfortunately, they have to try and get out and do that. But we're always working on getting people in. Do you guys ever do field in. trips to London? Um, yeah, and bring we're not them to allowed some... to do that oh. um, because of the way the regulations and things operate. You have to tell them costs up front at the beginning of their course. Got it. So of course, with the theatre, that's you never know what's going to be on, what's going to be running. So, true, so right? it's, okay. yeah, it's all to do. With ridiculous regulations got it which is why whenever staff are doing things we always make sure that we kind of open up that opportunity to the students you do so you just say yeah. if you want to come along yeah and we can. do a big London showcase as well at the end of the year so we cool. hire a London um, theatre we're doing Camden People's Theatre this year I, think. I just worked with them yeah and all our students festival. spend a day and they get a day there we invite agents and we invite it's industry great. professionals and they it's only open for our third years obviously oh that's great and Camden People's Theatre that's their whole thing as emerging yeah, artists yeah um, we've done it in Cap- we're doing Camden People Theatre this year, and I think we've done Soho Theatre, mm-hmm. and so we try and choose different ones all the time so to keep great. it fresh and get people coming along. So they have that kind of opportunity to engage with the industry. So great at the yeah. end of their degree, which is really useful. Yeah, and meet other people too, like <laughs> yeah, at yeah. the theatre. You know? And like when things like this are on, Brighton is is closed. When the trains are running well, yeah, Brighton is very <laughs> easy to get West, to. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, no, is it Southern? 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 Southern. Yeah, Southwest, Southwest. Southwest. Southwest are okay. Okay. It's Southern is the problem. Okay. <laughs> but loads of the students drive because we're not oh. in London. Yeah, loads of our students have cars and stuff, so it's quite easy. And so this, of course, is great because it's accessible, yeah. it's affordable. Totally. You can come in a day and see like five or six things just in a day. Oh my God. I hope you've encouraged them to come. I to have. This, because it's a I've, month long. I've basically spammed them with Good. emails Good. constantly. Good. And I'm like, I'm going to see this. This looks really exciting. Go. And do they sometimes join you? Yeah, they do sometimes. Good. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> and I keep seeing the same faces this festival, actually. There's a couple who, um, the guy came to as audience to my piece, because we did three days at the beginning and we're doing three days next week. Cool. Yep, Wednesday. <laughs> That's coming up real quick, yeah. And, and every single thing I've been to pretty much, I've seen the same guy as another audience member. So I'm like, <laughs> so fascinating. Oh my God. Yeah. I do you think he's going to be here at my show? I reckon. I, if he is, I'm just going to be like, oh my God. You guys need to have some, I mean, yeah. did, you, did you talk he to him? He gave me his card oh, yesterday. Okay. So I slipped it into my bag, but I was running from show to show to okay. show. So I'm hoping that I'm going to drop him a quick email. Is he cute? I'm just joking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. He's a lecturer. I can't remember where he, oh, he okay. lectures at uh, an American university in London. Oh. So yeah, but he loves the massive and interactive stuff. So he's been at everything 
pretty much I've been at, he's been at, which is amazing, with his friends. So. Oh my God, okay. But at the same showings, which is the weirdest that thing. That is I mean, really weird. Strange coincidence or what? Dude, you got it. I'm glad you have his car because you need to get, you guys exactly. need to meet up and yeah, just no, at least really chit chat about. And his, um, his interest is in identity and gender politics. Oh, so cool. yeah, which is really interesting. Oh, that's great. Yeah, There's so. so much of that. You know, Camden People's Theatre is doing a whole festival about yes, that coming up. Yes, I know. Up. And one of my um, colleagues, Chris Mounds, he used to work at Winchester and he's, um, his area of expertise, I think, is queer theory. So, cool. Yeah. So much great stuff yeah. out there, isn't there? So much great stuff. Yeah. It's just too much. Too much to see. Seriously. So, I'm really looking forward to seeing this this afternoon. Well, I say seeing, experiencing. Good, good, <laughs> good, yeah. But what's next for you? Have you got plans beyond... So we're going to take the show on tour. That's our plan. Great. So we're going to be looking at um, going to the United States with it because wow. I just feel like that's it would really do so well there. Um, whenever we have Americans in the audience, I feel like people really, really respond to it. Yeah. They really, yeah. they're louder sometimes. Not every American, but there's just a little bit of a... Uh, a participatory element that is just a little bit greater. I don't know. I kind of even make a joke in the show where I say, if you're polite and British, you can raise your hand <laughs> instead of just shouting out the answer. Because yeah. I feel like yeah, an American yeah. or in some other kind of maybe European countries would be more shouty. But like the British, it, yeah, it's a very... Putting, I, yeah, I even do it. Very polite. Things, put my hand yeah, yeah. non-confrontational <laughs> typically. So we're going to go, our goal is to go to the West Coast of America. We want to go right. in the fall. We haven't planned it all out yet, but we yeah. want to do San Francisco and Los Angeles and Portland, wow, Oregon. Wow, okay. So yeah, we have um, and if we houses got, in every single one. I was going to say, one. do you have houses or yeah. venues? Yeah, yeah, we do. We have houses. And wow. we did look into doing the San Francisco Fringe and it's all by... A, um, a lottery. Oh, that's how they do it. Wow. Oh yeah. My gosh. To, to get a space, to get yeah. a space. Now you can do an off-site <laughs> space as well. Yeah. So I, I actually I didn't win a space at the lottery, but I got an alternate. So yeah. if somebody yeah. dropped out, but nobody uh, dropped out. Oh. So I know I really. So Brighton did used to do houses. Um, they have houses that show um artwork, so you can go around people's living rooms and look at art. Oh wow. But a couple of years back, they did some a project in the lanes where. They had performances happening in domestic house spaces, oh, cool. which is such a shame that that's not happening. Seriously, this time. Well, we did look into yeah. doing a house here, but it was just going to be a little bit too complicated because yeah. I don't live here, so I couldn't use my house. So it was going to have to be either a friend of a friend or a stranger, and then to ask them to do six shows. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's like you can't change the address. It's just no, too much. No, so no. yeah. So anyway, we're gonna we're planning for a, a U.S. tour, and then wow. we want to go to Edinburgh next year. Perfect. So and how are you going to do it in Edinburgh? Are you going to have we a want to space do a house. or house? We want to do a house. But it takes a lot of planning. Oh, yeah. We looked into it for this year and it was just too much. We yeah, started looking. Um, I don't think they do any more escalator uh, east to Edinburgh, which is based out of Colchester and used to be based out of a junction in Cambridge. Okay. Used to own houses in the Edinburgh day. and performances because I've been to some incredible performances in houses in Edinburgh. And does that not exist anymore? I don't know. I oh know Escalate is not running anymore. Okay. But I wonder what they did with that spaces. Those spaces because okay. they were beautiful, huge, those big sort of tenement style oh houses. God, don't tease me. I know. Joe, come but on. it's worth contacting okay. Colchester Arts Centre okay. because they have now taken over Escalator, I think. Okay. I don't know whether they lost their funding because they right. were Arts Council funded. Probably. And MPO funded. So I... It, okay. It seemed to end a couple of years ago, so I don't know. But they had used to have a magic bus that used to tour around. Oh and, my god! Yeah, exactly. So cool. And do shows on the bus, and they used to bring it here, and they used to take it up to Edinburgh. But it might be worth seeing okay. what those spaces are. I'll check Some it out. universities, um, like I think Lincoln University, I've got 
friends who work there. Mm-hmm. They own houses because their staff and students can go up oh. during the festival as well. And so stay sometimes, there. yeah, it's and they're usually happy to collaborate with artists and stuff. Oh, so okay. It's worth just it is. exploring because I know the main venues and I have the same problem because mm-hmm. I have tiny, tiny audiences. I have the opposite problem. I have one on one or two on one. Mm-hmm. So trying to find somewhere that will let you do it. Because you tend to get an hour in Edinburgh, don't you? Yeah. An hour, and then you've got to get out, and someone yes, else is in. Exactly. And f- that's not always. It's not ideal when you're ideal. Yeah, totally. And, there, and also knowing Edinburgh spaces, there are very few that are domestic-y yeah, in any way. Exactly. They're all very black box studios. Yeah. So that's that's going to be yeah. a challenge, I guess. We want to we want to <laughs> team up with a theater up there that yeah. we work with, but then the this the show is off site. Yes. And so you it, the because thing, you need it ticketed. That's the trouble. Exactly. You need the visibility of yeah. being part of exactly. A big so venue. we'd probably do it so that we would have a meeting place yeah. where people would meet and Kath would maybe meet them and then walk over to the to the house. So we don't have to give out the address in advance because oh, that's too yeah. complicated yeah, for no. them. We got in touch with them about that already this year, and it was but just like, like oh my god, yeah, they need yeah. So it'd be like a, you, a meeting point yeah. that's central, and then we and that's the other thing it has to be kind of central and all that stuff. And 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 Edinburgh they have a very strict kind of um, health and safety thing where you need to have the house looked at beforehand. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it takes a lot of planning, but we're hoping to have it up there next year, two thousand eighteen. Great, okay. And and. Uh, because, you know, I just feel like in a place like Edinburgh, you really have to stand out. You have to be different. You have to be offering something. We're that's, so overwhelming, isn't it, in yeah. terms of how much work is on. And actually, There's 3,000 shows there. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. Over a month. Yeah. It's crazy. And I always think to myself, how do general audiences choose? Because I'm a researcher, so I have a very particular agenda. Sure. So, of course, when I'm looking, I have, like, my 15 keywords that I always yeah. search for, and I put it all together. But I'm like, how does a general theatre go? Just look at this and choose... What to go to? I know. I have no clue. I, I'm with you because I'm like you. I'm when I, I'm yeah, like doing I'm shows that are so solo shows. Or yeah. I'm looking for LGBTQ. Or I'm looking for exactly. you know feminist shows. Or I'm looking for yeah. things about sexuality and gender. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I have my. So it's really, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Oh, do, does everyone do that? I don't know. I know. I wonder. I don't know. Are people as specific? It would as be us? really good to hear yeah. from everybody listening. I know. Let me know. How do you choose what to see at a festival? Yeah. It's especially, a good question. especially if I'm going to Edinburgh, it's usually a paid research trip. So yeah. I try and book ticket, all my tickets before I go and yeah. leave like one evening free to do random things. Or, totally. But I, I'm so people interested how other people do that. Do you think people are just more general and they just do comedy, drama? They look for those are like yeah, their keywords. Maybe, maybe. Because comedy is obviously always a massive Huge. hitter. Huge. Always. And I always worry because I'm like, my work is really serious. It's the exact opposite of funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I can see why you'd be nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have, I've never taken a piece to Edinburgh yet. I've been to Edinburgh loads of times. Yeah. I've seen shows, but I've never taken a piece up there. Okay. And of course, when you walk up um, the strip as well, where everyone's doing all their stuff. I know. Again, it's ridiculously overwhelming because everyone's trying to be crazy. Everyone's no. trying to get everyone's attention. Exactly. But of course, it's so overwhelming. It's too here. much crazy. Yeah. Someone said to me recently, Edinburgh is now the place where you should bring a show when it's actually up and running and on its feet and it's done well yeah, already, yeah, it's not rather the than the opposite it, yeah, yeah. of trying to build your show there and yeah. get seen. And so we're taking that advice with coming. I think that's a good idea. How is because I think Brighton is a good space. Yes. To develop and play. It's a great launching pad for us. Yeah. It's our first festival. We did yeah. we did the CPT Hotbed Festival. The yes, Canada People's yeah, Theatre yeah, was yeah. a festival all about sex and sexuality. But that's much more seasonal. Totally. It was season. Yeah, it was in yeah. London and yeah. all that stuff. 
but it still had that kind of festival vibe where people got really into seeing multiple shows in yeah. a day or a night or something. Um, but this was our first festival away from London and a, you know, a big, huge yeah. festival. Um, and it's been so great. I've loved it. It's been, this is such a beautiful city and it's know, such a, the Boy. audiences have been so kind, if not quiet, but kind. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's better than hostile. <laughs> That's right. Quiet exactly. kind is better yeah. than hostile. So I'm glad I didn't choose to do a festival in <laughs> Chechnya this year. Yeah. Uh huh. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, no, it's been a great. I've been really grateful yeah. that we started here. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting then. So um, people can still book you, can they, if they live in and around London? Yeah. And are you open to going? further afield absolutely as well, we definitely. also we want to do a regional tour as well in, yeah in the I was going to say because yeah. one thing that's very frustrating um, for a non-Londoner is the London centric nature of I know. most performing arts yes. at the moment and so it would be lovely I think to take that Sort of yep. outside of it's on our goal list and it's on our itinerary of we want to bring theater to or this theater yeah. coming clean life is a naked house cleaner to places that maybe wouldn't have access to that and this is so doable as yeah. well this kind of work really has the ability to get out and into communities exactly Exactly. I think, which is so exciting. Yeah. To be able to go to a, 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 a another maybe area in your city that you don't know yeah. is incredible. You know, um, somebody told me about this project they were doing many, many years ago. I can't remember where it was, but I think it was in Eastern Europe. And it was exactly that. It was, they were getting funding so that you could, um, people they found were afraid to go to neighborhoods they didn't know. Yeah, they didn't know what to do there. They didn't know where to go to eat. They didn't yeah. know what to go to see there. So they wouldn't go. But then if you had an excuse to go there, like there was a show there or there was, um, yeah. so they started doing shows in people's houses and, f and dinners in people's houses. So, so you'd buy tickets in, and then yeah. you'd go and then you're suddenly, you'd meet other people in the community. You meet the people who live in the community because it's that's their house. Fabulous. And I think it's such an incredible thing and that's exactly what we want to do with yeah. our show. Is, you know, in place, different places in Manchester well, in some or respects, other cities. I think London and Brighton are almost kind of like preaching to the converted. It's true. In terms of, of the themes of the yeah. work. Because, of course, they're very receptive of audiences to those yeah. things and all already extremely accepting, yeah. I think, cultures. It would be really interesting to see how that would operate kind of outside yeah. of those really iconic I can see it being massively successful because yeah. of my, what I've always felt yeah. is that people want to talk about sex. They want to <laughs> talk about their sexual fantasy. No one gave them the opportunity before no, though. People want to talk about sex and sex sells and exactly. people like sex. Exactly. And every, yes, it's just, it, that's, I mean, I say this in my trailer <laughs> that I have. It. Yeah, is that so much of the world participates in this very thing that we very rarely talk about publicly. Absolutely. It's so hush hush behind closed doors. And so, oh. yeah, I, I really look forward to the moments when we can bring it to living rooms nudity. that are in big cities. I, I, get, yeah. I, I literally can't yeah. believe how offended people get about nudity. I find like, you have a naked body I under know. your clothes. I know. Everyone has this. Especially in America. <laughs> really? Oh my God. People are so afraid of nudity in America. Wow. I talk about it in my show a little bit. Yeah. Oh the God. cultural differences even between yeah, Americans think, and Brits even. Because Brits are weird. Because in Europe, I think it's it's much more accepted. We actually have a nudist beach in Portsmouth. Oh, you do? We okay. do. Good. It's I'll be down there. The same as the dog beach, which is okay. That's a bit insulting. Unacceptable. Is it, does it get warm in Portsmouth? Yeah, we it have does? some of the nicest weather on, okay. on the in the UK. Good to basically. know. Okay, never yeah. been. So. Um, but even in this weather, there'll be people on the beach. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like nude beaches. I mean, yeah. that that's just would. And in America, they're kind of like underground. And, wow. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like. You got a sign. I, when I first came, I didn't know. I knew that was where you, the dogs were allowed on the beach because that's on the sign. It's the dog beach. So I'm walking along. The dick and boob beach. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, shit, I'm going to have to put the dogs back on the lead because. My dogs like to jump on people and lick. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the licking, you know, depending on where, you know, yeah. if you're into that. Yeah, so I was like, Jesus Christ, I better put the dogs back on the Seriously. Lead. But yeah, no signer. I don't know whether it's because unofficial, but oh. everybody knows in Portsmouth. Okay. Like, apart from me, when I, so when I first moved there, I had no idea. You found out the good way. <laughs> I found out the good way. Your dogs are molesting going. people. Yeah. Oh. Like, oh, dogs get back on the lead. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Before you start molesting people really yeah. badly. <laughs> but yeah, that's and it's always busy, which I yeah. think is really interesting. But I think there's a the Europe there's a really different attitude in Europeans, I think, towards yes nudity. Absolutely, I think. Yeah, I don't know whether. <laughs> and then I think the Brits take on that a little bit. A the little bit. And then the Americans are really far from that. I think. <laughs> So there's a there's a disparity there. It seems to be okay here when you're children, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's true. We're really yeah. great with our letting our kids be naked, America be too. nude. Yeah, it's that's all good. Yeah, but it seems the moment you kind of start to hit puberty, absolutely, that's when everything changes. Whereas yeah. I think on the continent, continental Europe, not as much. It doesn't really change that much right. at all, which I think is so great, and mm. I think it's changing a bit here. But again, it's always in those kind of typical cultural centres where you'd expect that to be the exactly. case. So Brighton, yeah. London, exactly, <laughs> and Eastney and Portsmouth. Yeah, <laughs> tiny little nude beach, tiny also little. a dog beach. We're yeah, quite close to France. So yeah. <laughs> Is that your claim to fame? For Maybe your, that's rubbing off on your us. Your more progressive know. ideas around nudity. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's great. I don't have a problem with it, but yeah, I, I just can't believe how upset people get over nipples. I know. Oh, <laughs> tell me about it. You just tonight. I'll be talking about that. So get ready. Absolutely. I'm like, okay, so you're happy to watch horrific things on the news, but God help a nipple. Seriously. Nipples. And the and the crazy <laughs> video games where people it. are murdering each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, but nipples. No. 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 Yeah. <laughs> But literally cutting someone's head off, fine. That's acceptable. Yeah, That's absolutely. perfectly fine. Violence. Kids, everyone gather around. Yeah, it's all good, but don't look at nipples. Exactly. <laughs> at I know. all. It's, in, it's infuriating. <laughs> it really is, yeah. It's utterly bizarre. Yeah, I'm fighting so against strange. it every day, Joe. <laughs> yeah. And even with um, dogs now, there's all these things coming up. They're like, I've got a pug, so it's oh, a okay. butt is exposed. But apparently you can get like little flaps to put over it that you hang on their tail. So that you don't so see their butt. So you don't have to butt. see his bum. I'm like... Wow, wow. That sounds very LA, to be honest with you. I just would never do that okay. to the dog. Seriously. I was like, seriously. I thought you were going to say you put them in a diaper. No, God, okay. no. But okay. yeah, apparently, um, yeah, you can get them and they sit over their little bums. Okay, and you I should maybe consider that for my show. I do have a, a couple moments where I could use that. And you, yeah. get, you can get them for cats as well, apparently. Oh my God. I'm like, come on. Oh my God, it just sounds like an entrepreneurial nightmare. <laughs> like, that just sounds like someone's like, I've got an idea. Yes. I think they're coming out of Japan. I think it's like a uh, Japanese okay. thing because pugs are really popular. I'd be curious well. to know what the sales are. Oh, maybe they're doing really well in Japan, but yeah, <laughs> I guess we'll find out here. I don't know why pugs' bums are so offensive, but apparently well, they are extremely okay. offensive. Something to Google. Yeah, because <laughs> they've got curly tails, isn't it? Because they're exposed. Oh, that's why. In okay. Ways that other dogs aren't. Okay. <laughs> well, that could be your next show. Yeah, do something about pug bums. Seriously, <laughs> that's the name of your show right there. Pug, pug bums. bums. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> or pug butts. I love the marketing already. Bums, bums. I think is more more English, isn't it? Pug yes, bum. bum. I think bum is great. I think bum is great because it's very English. Yeah, I can already see the poster. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, with the little thing that you just yeah, described. Yeah, I have a really it. cute pug as well already. So in the bag, although he's black, so it's quite hard to photograph. Oh, okay. Well, we if can there's light any light behind well. him, he just oh. disappears. We'll just be. Him. It'll just be his butt anyway. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. We don't need to see his face. Yeah, <laughs> just his bum, just his ass. Love it. I'm on board. Well, thank you so very much for talking to me. You're it's welcome. been a massive pleasure, and thank I'm you. really looking forward. The couch is just so tantalising. I know, I know. You guys don't know listening, but I'm sitting in the space. There's all this stuff, and it's just really tantalising. Isn't it a great couch that was here? Yeah, that was it's here. So it couldn't good. be better. Like yeah. The, the paintings on the. I know. There's painting on the, the wall. I know. They're naked ladies. It's so perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I know. She's kind of. Oh, you caught me. Yeah. yeah. She's not showing her nipples. Although there's though. no nipples and no nunny, so okay, maybe we're totally wrong about British people being a little bit more open. Yeah. It's all very, very safe. This side, side boob, though. It's side boob, and there's a woman. She has her, her um, hand over her mouth as if to say, "Ooh, Ooh. Ooh excuse me." Yeah, it's like excuse you for what? I know she's not <laughs> doing like anything. Nothing. She's on in a towel. Way. Yeah. Perhaps she's excusing her friends. I don't know. She is. She's she's very British and she's apologizing. <laughs> it's like I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> side boobs. Exactly. Are embarrassing. <laughs> Well, thank you so You're much, welcome. and I'm going to let thank you, you get on with preparing yeah. for performing this song. And chat with me after the show. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode. So, that was the last of the Brighton material that is in good enough condition to share with you at this stage. There is a little bit more, but it needs a lot more work. So, I'll get that to you as soon as I possibly can, but probably now going to be as extra sods. I love to hear your thoughts, so please do get in touch. You can tweet me at Tate Podcast, PM me or comment on our Facebook page, or you can message me or comment on YouTube. You can email me directly on talking about immersive theatre at gmail.com, but don't shorten it to Tate at gmail.com because that's not our email address. If you know of any West Midlands based immersive makers, or you are one, get in touch let me know and I will get along to see the work and potentially we can have a chat things have been a little scatty and late or missing for the last few months so I must apologize profusely for that but now that things are settling down after my move I will start to be able to catch up and I promise to get the episodes missing from YouTube up to date as soon as possible Um, I lost access to my editing Uh, software for doing that so as soon as I have that again I will start to put those out and make sure that YouTube gets up to date. Next month I'm going to be chatting to the giants of the London immersive scene Difference Engine so until then wishing all of you all good things.